0: I think, you know, we're from the guild, you know, it's like, this is our thing in the UK. It's like. Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. Indeed, this is episode number 36. Hey, how you doing? We're back in the fall. How's things going for you? This is a new season for us. Uh, this would be season four. We follow the terms throughout the school year and we tend to start our... Terms in September, because that's just kind of what we do as educators. So, this is a whole new term for us. And man, do we have an awesome episode for you to kick off this new term? We have with us Lucy Griffiths, she is a tradesperson. She uh, is working at Vancouver Community College. She just got promoted to a great job, and we thought we'd have her on the show. It's awesome. She's from the UK as well, so I kind of mentioned at the beginning of this episode that we have a bit of a UK connection here, and you know what they say. So sit back, relax, enjoy. This is going to be a great episode. You'll love it. Tons of great stuff in here, and uh, thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed yet, would you consider subscribing? I hope so. It'd be a good deal. Anyway, uh, enjoy the episode, and we'll see you on the other side. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. Woo! I said that fast, didn't I? Got my coffee going. How's everybody doing? I feel like we got the UK connection here this morning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sally and I are like magnets. Like we met and yeah. can't, we can't now depart from one another. Yeah. No, <laughs> we can't be separated. No, we can't. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right. Well, it's strength in numbers, right? Yeah. So it's all, it's all good. Very good. Chad, how are you doing this morning? I'm well, I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain, just yeah. sipping on my coffee. Nice. By the time everybody hears this, we'll be, uh, six weeks removed from Ditchped. How you doing? How am I doing or how's yeah. DigPed
2: doing or everybody doing? Well, how are you doing? I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, my mind is rapidly expanding and it hurts sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's just not enough time in the day I'm finding because, uh, so I'm, I'm taking part of the Digiped 20 online version this year because of the whole COVID thing. And mm-hmm. I'm also teaching full time. So, which is, it's great. I mean, doing it online, teaching online and doing the Digiped thing online, it, it works, but it's just, it's a lot of work and yeah, and it's a lot of time. Like I also, you need to reflect, right? It's not just yep. you're taking in these learning outcomes and then you're spinning out stuff in order to actually fully engage with it. You have to take those times to sit down and wrestle with some of the stuff. Yeah. Yep. And so I find I'm going on a lot of walks and runs and making sure that I take that time. Cause you want to get the full fullness out of it. All right. When you're nice. in the presence of people like Jesse Stommel or Sean Michael <laughs> Morris and all those people talking, it's, yeah. it's amazing.
1: Yeah, for sure. You want to, you
0: want to yeah. soak it all in. Right. I think that like that first like month coming into this, you know, you were trying to just do everything and keep your head above water. And that, Mm -hmm. that reflective piece, that, that piece of how can I improve that piece of, you know, how how, this is, this is going to keep going now. How can I make this my Mm -hmm. norm? That wasn't there. So I think now we're just starting to maybe find time to do that, that reflective piece you know, but then the river might start rushing again. And then it goes back to just triage, triage, triage. And then- Oh, I know
2: that's yeah. the pro- That's what I'm afraid of though. Yeah. Right. Cause you yeah. know, it, it's definitely, it will go that way because we're coming into August now. And so yeah. everybody's yeah. getting ready and ramped up for September and yeah. nobody's taking that time to spend the time. And I, I mean, rightly So you got to let your brain take a break after that spring we just had. That was insane. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah. to find that time to reflect so that we can be ready for the next one. I, know, I, I get I get feeling overwhelmed a lot because of that. Like I feel like oh I should be doing more, doing like reflecting, but I don't have time to reflect. I've got to build courses, but then I can't build those courses properly because I need to reflect on things. So I get this in this overwhelming loop.
3: Chad, nobody could be doing more than you. I don't think you realize this. <laughs> nobody <laughs> could be doing. Uh, you know, I think it's I, I you for attending DigPed twenty twenty this week while you're teaching, and I think. This really sheds the light on the fact that the opportunities that have come forward since COVID-19, um, you know, well, I was really fortunate to go to DigPed 2019, but it was, it was a big, big trip. You know, it was a week mm-hmm. away from the workplace. I, if I'd have been teaching, I wouldn't have been able to go. And um, financially, it's a big cost as well for the instit- institutions. Yep. But the fact that you are able to attend and teach opens up, you know, these these huge possibilities. And I think for me, just even listening. So you've been rather, um, rather uh, busy on Twitter this week, Chad. So, that you, <laughs> you know, I couldn't <laughs> attend DigPed, but I could attend Twitter. So this was great. There you go. Uh, And I think one of the great things there is that it really is reinforcing what you've been doing since March, since the pivot. I mean, Mm -hmm. you were probably one of the most prepared people in the province. But the thing is, listening to Jesse Stommel or Sean Michael Morris is the fact that you know what you're doing. You know, you really reinforces that, yeah, there's a bigger purpose here.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. There you go, buddy. Hey, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Was, that was it's a little cathartic it. moment, but we're <laughs> no. not here to talk about my my brain and how it's exploding. We're here to talk about Lucy's brain and how it is. Uh,
3: that's true. That's
1: us. true. So, yeah. for all of you listening, we have a very special guest with us this morning. Her name is Lucy Griffith, and she is from VCC. But that's all I'm going to say. Because Lucy, how about you take a few moments to introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do.
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm, um, I work at VCC. Um, I was department leader for hair and skin and body therapy for six years. And I just, um, um, moved into a new role of instructional associate under the center of, uh, teaching, learning and research, um, literally three Ooh. weeks in. Yeah. That's awesome. so, um, it's a position that I really wanted and have been striving for, for, um, for quite a long time. And, um, I, I completely, my masters in education, like two years ago. I can't believe that now. I crossed the stage like eight months pregnant. I went into my masters with a ten-month-old, so it was uh, it was a big <laughs> couple of years. Um, and um, and yeah, prior to that, um, you know, I moved over to Canada in two thousand um, and six, um, and I was teaching in the UK prior to that um, in the community college system, and um, I was a program lead. So. Um, it was really great to be able to teach and learn in in a completely different context or culture, um, and then bring that here. Um, I think I feel that's been hugely influential to my career. Um, and um, and you know, going into trades that we finish high school, I'm kind of going like in a backward step. But we finish high school in the UK at sixteen, unless we want to continue on to go to university. And that really wasn't in my kind of social kind of you know um context that you know it you know some schools you get you go to school and you will go to university in my in my area where i grew up in west london it was you go to college you get a trade and so um you know 16 i think it was 15 and a half and i got accepted into college and then i started t- to train as a skin and body holistic therapist and i did 3 years of that and um, and because it's um, it's such a, it's kind of, you, you're learning, you're doing clients, you're working in, um, in kind of doing presentations for products. You're doing you're growing in, in this three years. So at 19, when I graduated in the July, in the September, I'd flown to Galveston, Texas and joined a cruise ship and was working on a cruise ship, um, as a skin and body <laughs> holistic therapist. And, um, hold on, and, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. Yeah. You were
1: on a cruise ship at nineteen.
0: Yeah, working. Working. Yeah, and I'd. Never That's even, living the life, I'd Lucy. Never, I know, you know. I I reflect back now, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but um, but I had never even made a doctor's appointment before. My dad had done it. I'd never washed my own clothes like my mum had done it like, and my dad had always made my lunch like even at college. And now I find myself here on this cruise ship in. Galveston, Texas. I'd never been in the States in, before. And, yeah. And with that um, accent,
1: you're going to blend right in yeah,
0: too, I right? Know. <laughs> yeah. they hardly noticed you I know. I remember no. like landing in this guy, like, you know, waiting, waiting for me to take in the car, like to take me to the cruise ship. And his slurpee cup was the size of like half my body. And I've never (laughs) seen anything like that in my life.
1: And that was just the medium.
0: Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, they were all out of large that day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where am I? And the night before I left, I remember like just crying, hysterically thinking, dad, I said to my dad, dad, what have I done? He's like, you need to do this. He's like, if you need to get home, we will get you home. Don't worry about that but you have to try. And I feel that that's like, kind of like pushed me my whole life and you know and he's always said like always be kind to these people on your way up because you never know you you might need them on your way down and and just remember that remember that as you move through this journey and I was like okay okay and then my first day on board I met this Canadian DJ, hence why I'm here in Canada now (laughs) like (laughs) twenty odd years later. So it wasn't that rough but um but it was definitely um I definitely feel that Working on cruise ships, having these experiences, in working with all these different types of people—client and employee and colleague—you know—I was managing a 45 team at 20. I was think I was just before my 21st birthday. Um, I was managing a team of 45 fitness instructors, hairstylists, nail technicians. Like, I just moved into these. Okay, yeah, I can do this. I'll do it. And I—I've never been. I've I've won, I've never been, um, ever been qualified for the position that I've moved into. I've always, you know, strived, you know, strive for that position. And then I become that position and then I, I become qualified once I'm in it. And so that's kind of where I've always been. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to like get my hands dirty, like at all. And, um, I, I think now reflecting back because I've, I was like, I can't believe I did that. Like, I can't believe I was there, but it's led me like each experience I've been through has led led me to some incredible people. And I think that's what's like, that's what has made me flourish in, in the way that I'm happy and what I do and the people I surround myself with. And, you know, one of those people is Dr. Sally, you know, like she, I'm so, I'm I'm so fortunate to have been introduced to, to um, Sally, especially when I became department head. Um, and, um, she's taught me a lot and invited me into circles and where I've been able to really listen and, you know, and, and yeah, I've been, uh, yeah, super, super fortunate. So So that's like a nutshell of my life. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Lucy's adventures. I'm not sure we can match that. (laughs) I think, you know, Lucy, you bring forward a, a really interesting point there. The you know, in the UK there's a very clear divide of how you're going to be streamed, whether it's vocational or whether it's, you know, the academic stream. And we readily accept that. It's not, I'm not sure whether there's actually a stigma attached to that. I, I know myself when I went off to the community college stream in the UK, I didn't feel that there was a stigma attached to it at the time. Um, And it's interesting the age, you know, in the UK, you finish school at like I was 15 and a half as well when I started my apprenticeship and 18 when I finished my three year apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, But it's an interesting journey that we put that kind of responsibility on such young people.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, how do you know what you want to do for the rest of your life at 13, 14, 15? How do you prepare for that? Like when you're at school, like yeah i want to do this and so from the from the area that i grew up in it wasn't like yeah you went to college you got a trade like everyone i knew pretty much went into apprenticeship trade so there's so many, there's a lot of uh, corporate apprenticeship models in the uk too so like my closest friend went to work for british airways as an apprenticeship and she ended up like working there for 18 years and becoming hugely successful because um, a lot of these big companies have these apprenticeship pathways to, so rather than you having to go to university and then figuring out what you want to do, you can kind of enter the workforce in this way. And, and so it was never a thing. I never felt like chipped with my education. Like, but my mum, my mom and dad never sat me down and said like, you need to be serious about what, you know, are you going to go to university? What are you going to be? It was kind of like, Lucy like you know at 15 I wanted to dance and draw and create and mum was like that's nice but you need to get a trade behind you I was like okay um so and so pretty much everyone I know there was probably one person from my class that just went on to one or two people that went on to pursue university um and I feel that it was I feel that it was the right choice I I feel that Universities are for adults, I feel that universities are for people that know what track they want to be down, and um, yeah now I'm ready to commit twenty five you know thirty thousand dollars to my education. I think you need to be uh, you know an adult to be able to do that so i'm glad that i I did this untraditional way of you know learning where I, I did university in my you know, late teens, in my thirties, rather than doing it, you know, in, when I was 17 or 17, 18, 19 in the UK. um, I feel that I, I got way more out of it now than I would ever have at that age, because you need that experience to like reflect upon. Like, I can't think of doing that masters without having had that experience bad and bad and good. You know, I would have nothing to have brought, I don't think, to my, to my classes. You know, so, and um, but that stigma is, you know, it's, it wasn't there when, when, you know, I think, you know, we're from the guild, you know, it's like, this is our thing in the UK. It's like, you know, apprenticeship is, is, is that's what's built Britain. It's been that way, you know? So, and um, but here it's very different and I feel like I have to be an advocate for trades. um whenever I give I'm given a stage at a high school or I'm giving a classroom or a one-to-one with a student, um, you know, even parents of my friends that are like putting their kids now in through education, I'm constantly advocating for trade because it is so valuable. And, and I feel that it will give you so much, you know, so many different ways in which you can be successful. And, by le- even if you don't want to stick to that trade just by learning it is yeah hugely important so yeah
2: it's a stepping stone right like that's what I keep telling all my students at the same time like you're not when you join the trades you're not pigeonholed as a tradesperson you're not stuck going to be like as an electrician pulling wire for the rest of your career I mean all of us all four of us in this podcast right now have all gone on to higher education from our our trades so it's, you're not getting stuck in that, but there's this stigma that, you know, once a tradesperson, always a tradesperson, or, you know, you'll always be on the tools and maybe it's for some people that's good and that's what they want. But for me, I felt I was the opposite of you. I did university did 30 to $50,000 of student loan debt and then took a summer off to or decided to take like a gap year to pay off some of that student loans, then fell into an apprenticeship. So it's, I'm glad and I'm glad I've got all those experiences as well, but still, I see. I totally resonate with what you're saying because my experience now doing my master's has been brilliant because of all the experience I've had with my trades and with my students and with my education and with teaching, it all has made it so much more richer than as if I just went and did finish my BA and went on to an MA after that and was done all that by the time I was 24, that would have been, it would have been a waste of time and a degree. I
0: mean, And so much of your master's is, is about reflecting and about looking at, you know, ways in which you can improve or why things are done or, you know, and so, and so having, you know, and, and obviously we need this education because to become a teacher in high school in the K to 12 system or to become a doctor, you need, you need to, you need to be set up in a way to do this, but, um, but you, it, it is those people that spend, you know, like you said, like you spend all this money, you don't, you're not quite sure if this is the right fit for you. And so that, that can kind of be like, ah, you know, I could have done it this way, but even though every experience is a positive one, I just, you know, a lot of the schools I've got friends that teach in private schools in Vancouver and they're like, yeah, it just doesn't come up. Like you, you go to into trades if you're not that smart. And, you know, and I'm like, do you understand like the intellect that is in trades? Like, how how a carpenter can look at a window and do the math in their head and be like, yeah, have this vision, be able to problem solve like on the spot, you know, like a snooker player, like always thinking of your next move because, you know, that's what a tradesperson is, and um, and they're doing this live, you know, like just as a doctor would or a lawyer would in a courtroom, like it's just as valuable um and i just feel like i hate having to explain it that way like but it's um yeah the 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 stigma is definitely there and
3: i think if you are explaining it though i think this is what the value is like lucy you you mentioned earlier about when you and i first met and sort of how you know we've continued to, to have these conversations same as myself with Tim and Chad, is that we're talking about this. And I think that it is like we're reflecting on our own life experiences and, and just, you know, looking, taking this lens of this podcast. And, you know, we're disrupting these traditional streaming of, um, you know, university or either all that binary system. And we're evidence that really that binary system Need not exist or or does it even exist? and and I think one of the things you know when you say there's this mindset around um, you know, maybe you're not smart enough to do anything other than be a tradesperson, and yet a huge corporation such as British Airways, have taken the term apprenticeship and used it in their own context. So when they take an apprentice, these are people that have not gone to university. So in the UK, they look for, they call them uh, graduate positions. And what they mean is that you have an undergrad degree, But what British Airways did was that they recognized that 50% of the high school graduates didn't go to university. And they knew that there were really good minds there that they were missing out on. So they offered these two-year apprenticeships, but you're not progressing in a trade. What you get to do is experience all of these different... I think you do Either eight weeks or three months in a position, and then you're then you choose where you want to grow in the organisation. So I think I think that they, it is known that we need smart people. So that tradespeople are smart people, and I think it's sort of it's a bit like a best kept secret when British Airways can use that lens and you know, hang on, a minute, we're missing out on these you know these really highly valuable um employees
0: uh now like 18 years on these people are are running the company you know they they either went into operations or they went into customer service or they went into hr like they they, they picked their, their special, and then they were given that education. They were given, um, they paid for them to go to college. They paid for them to take these courses through university. And, you know, now they're, you know, they, they have all the tools that they need to succeed. And, and so apprenticeship, like I talk about it, like when I was a department head for six years, that was my apprenticeship into the position that I'm in now. That's that, you know, and I know that, you know, casting. I say casting some English, sorry. Tim says that. <laughs> I know, sorry. I talked to people in their last name. Um But I know that Tim's, you know, that's his thing. And you talk about life is that apprenticeship. And it really is like having, been able to be a department leader for six years in, um, and the department has grown, you know, so much. And we've, we've taken now a program you know, uh, or a trade that has now newly become a red seal trade. Like that for me as was an apprenticeship that, that gave me all the tools I needed to now, you know, hopefully be successful in this new position, um, and support trades um, and the vocational education that, that we, you know, that we support within our college. But it's, um, and yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing. You're not a failure if you decide to go and, and seek an apprenticeship, you know, and um, and I don't know why, I, I, I re, you know it is it really bothers me why that is that way, um, especially in the Lower Mainland, um, and not even in the Lower Mainland like it's certain areas because I go and speak in areas in the valley like I'll speak to high schools or groups in Mission and Maple Ridge and Chilliwack and and Surrey and North Langley. they get it they get how valuable it is. To, to have a trade behind them and um, but there are groups that are they need some convincing for sure you know and mm-hmm. uh, yeah
2: i think we find that too in in higher ed like i think lucy you're a pioneer in the sense that you've got you've taken a vocation as a tradesperson and now you're in an instructional associate like that's a huge jump to have a tradesperson jump into a role like that and i think it's in the higher ed situations when we have people in instructional design or doing that sort of work, it's their, their IDs, right? Like they're, they're people that went and got their MEDs and have never been in the trades. And so they're helping design courses for the trades with bringing in SMEs and that's fine. But when I see an actual tradesperson going into those roles, that just makes me super excited because there is somebody who actually understands the context of trades and there's somebody also who understands the context of education. And so bringing them together is amazing. And so, I think that ha- needs to happen more, and I don't think it happens enough and I think that when we have some people try to join into the learning teaching centers, there's pushback because they're trades right and why would we want to bring a tradesperson into the l t c when they're a tradesperson they're not a you know they're not an instructional yeah, designer I, I
0: was spoken to Sally about this too and Sally, you'll probably want to jump in here. I mean, I'm super lucky. Oh, I know, I know. I'm oh, me and Sally, like we're surprised that Chad and Tim can actually get a word in. But I'm super lucky. He's just sitting back. He's I know. This is how our workshops go, right, Tim? Like you go. I I'm super lucky at BCC because like I really feel like they they get it, like with trades and yep. they they've been they've been an advocate for trades and um, and um and they've they've been an advocate for me that, you know in a way that they know that um I can hopefully bring something to that center and I have that trades knowledge and they they like that they like to mix it up and have make sure that they are trying to cover all areas so everyone feels supported, supported. but I am you know just just being able to have that kind of trades mindset of how actually we can do things differently we don't have to you know run our programs in the same way that they've always been done you know let's let's try to you know to reinvent something and you know i've i've kind of always been that person that if if i feel like a change needs to be made like i i pursue it and even, you know, with our programs, we used to teach in blocks, like in hair and, and in skin and body therapy. And and so it'd be like, you know, one one course would be on health and safety and one course would be on um, hygiene and sterilization. And one course would be on cutting and then one course would be on coloring. And it doesn't work. We can't teach in that, in that way. And it took me a long time to kind of convince the college to say like, we need like three months to cover all of this content—it's—it's it's messy. It's—it—we it, need to be able to know one to do the other. We need to do bad in one thing to know how to do this side of it better. And so we—we've actually been able to recreate all of how our courses are delivered, all of how our credits are uh, uh, are given out, just by understanding that we don't—that when we deliver trades education, it's done in a very different way that. in in how you would teach just a purely academic uh, program. We need to experience like all of these um, different things, whether it's working on different training aids in different contexts or, uh, or different times of year or working on, you know, on hair that's, that's fine and light or coarse and textured. Like we we can't always guarantee what type of vehicle or training aid or person we're going to be working with. And so, it's like, oh, okay. Like, let's do something a bit different. With culinary, we're doing the same thing. We're we're not. They don't teach just you know working with dairy products this week and then working with you know grains and wheats this week. They they have to mix it all up and use it all together. So we're making our courses longer, but our content more kind of um, fuller. And so that we're able to deliver education in a way that's um, that, that the instructor feels will be beneficial to the student when they go into a career, you know, they're not going to be working with, you know, certain things just one week here, one week there. You know, they need to mix it all up. And I think you did you did that at VIU as well, Sally. Or are you yeah. still in course yeah, course did. by course?
3: No, no, not at all. Like we did this at VIU quite a long time ago, and and I actually have to give credit to. Um, our center of innovation and excellence in learning for this because they they took us down this journey probably about seven years ago now and what it was was disrupting those um, deconstructed um, competences the way that they had been put as you say into those weeks and to be honest hairdressing was never taught that way at VIU somehow it, it It was not taught within these these weekly blocks. So we were quite fortunate and it allowed us to shift into the modular system, which is what you're talking about, you know, with actually having these modules. And you know what, Tim, I'm thinking as I say this, there's a really good Wiley resource, um, open educational resource on modulars. Um, yeah, modulizing your curriculum, and it lends itself really well to the trades. Um, when we look at how the trades have been structured by their program outlines, which, yes, great, program outlines are wonderful, but they, they're, they for organization and for measurement purposes, like grading, they're put into these units of competencies But the intention always was from that program outline that curriculum would be developed, which is then when we develop the modules. And I love this um, Wiley resource because it explains these modules like think of them as buckets and maybe your bucket is three week time span. What is the content you're going to put in there? Well, you're going to have an element of health and safety. You're going to have an element of tools and maybe, um, you know, specific competencies from others. And then you build them like that in the module. And of course, it actually brings us full circle to what we've talked about over the past weeks is these authentic learning environments. And then, of course, authentic assessments as well. And, And I think that, you know, having us as educators that have many years experience in trade, we have this whole different understanding now. And to have, um, like, you're very fortunate at Vancouver Community College, that the college identifies by the tradespeople. I mean, they did that wonderful campaign a few years ago yeah, where we built this city and it really said the strength of this so and i think the more trades people like chad was just saying are needed in the teaching and learning centers where trades is a huge part of that institution's um you know educational
0: goals really yeah no absolutely i mean i think that um we do, you know, at BCC we do see a lot of, um, you know, highly educated um, students come through that have, you know, gone to university that they now want to seek trade and I, a, a trade. And I feel that, that that's hugely valuable that they've come, you know, come to you with this kind of background and drive that now I, I actually want to do this. Whereas like I talked about the UK earlier being know we go into trades, but not everyone wants to be there like doing this, you know, trade. They're just told by their parents, you know, you have to you have to, you know, become a bricklayer or you have to, you know, become a become a a a mechanic or whatever you need to do. Like you you need an education. You need to go and find work. That's your that's your ultimate. Whereas whereas, you know, when we do have at VCC, a high number of percentage of our graduates are those that have now changed careers and come in you know they want to see they want to be there and they want they understand the value in in trades and and where this where this career can propel them and what avenue they can go down I still think sometimes their scope you know that oh yeah I'm I'm gonna you know go to school to become an electrician and that's all I'm gonna do and then you're like well do you realize like once you've got this training you can you can spin out into all these different areas of, um, of a career depending on what you want to do. And that, that for them is like, wow, yeah, no, I didn't actually realize that I'm going to go and tell my parents that I can do this, you know, and that this is, these are some of the different things that I can do. Um, not only can I, you know, work at a, a college and create, um, education and support faculty and do all this, but I can also, you know, come in and sort your lights out (laughs) because I have that knowledge. And, you know, with, with hair too, I mean, Sally, like, you know, with being, um, an instructor in, in hair, um, you know, some of the hairdressers I've spoken to is like, I've, I've always been able to like support my family, you know? And I think knowing that, knowing that whatever happens, uh, within the world, within the economy, I can always support my family in some way, you know? And, And that's super valuable, you know.
3: I think so. And I think that gets lost, doesn't it? Somewhere along the line, (laughs) because talking about the disruptions here, really, it's a bit of an old song to think that you're going to be financially better off by getting a university degree. And I don't want to create binaries because we're example of non-binary thinking here. We all are an example of that. But having said that if that is the goal of you know you want to be financially independent you have a daughter a son you want them to be financially independent why would you not encourage them to go into hairdressing i mean hairdressers have the potential to earn the same kind of you know money that people are earning in Fort Mac you know it's there and yet again it's a best kept secret and and so if we know this, if we accept this, and this becomes common knowledge, that the potential, I mean, I'm sure for pipe fitters, spa therapists, and for electricians, we all know what the potential is there um, to be out there in the workforce. And so, I mean, you know, financially. So why would there be any kind of doubt about, you know, somebody taking that career path? And I think that um, if we disrupt that, then we we do value it. We have disrupted it and we do value it. And that's what allows us to then look at, okay, the current teaching practices. and And as you were talking about the teaching practices, Um, Lucy and I know Chad you've spoken about this as well before I think sometimes maybe we're not mentioning it but it's the students that benefit from the fact that all of us here this little community of practitioners we've got going here is the students benefit from the work that we do together the conversations that we do together and maybe that doesn't always come across in our conversations because we talk about what we've studied, what we know, what we're attending, what we're thinking about, but all of it is to make that student journey better. Yeah. And the outcomes better. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like that old saying, right? Like we don't teach curriculum, we teach students. And I think we forget that. We don't forget that. I know we don't, but oftentimes I think that's a mindset that a lot of instructors might have, especially in the trades. And we've railed against this. So I'm not going to go too deep into it, but you've got subject matter experts that come in and teach, right? And we've talked about, Sally, you've talked about you quit your job on a Friday, you come in on a Monday and it's a, and for a lot of people, it's just that retirement gig that Tim's talked about, right? And we need more people that are going into the teaching profession in the trades that are excited about the trade and excited about teaching. And if you can get that, we could, you could have that revolution that, that we would want to see happen, right? But instead we get these people who okay, well, my knees are given out, so I can't do that anymore. So I'd, I better, Oh, BCIT is looking, I'm going to yeah, go. Teach that's there. the
0: worst thing you so, can ever say to me in an interview. <laughs> like, and it comes up <laughs> a lot. Like when we, when we're interviewing for new instructors, it's just like, yeah, I just don't want to stand behind a chair anymore. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to like, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, we want people that you know, want to advocate for this. You know, we want people that, and and even if that is your mindset, don't tell me that. (laughs) Like, I don't need to know that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we do, we, we, we fall into this role where, um, where we are like working in industry one day and now we're educating. But I know that when I came into teaching, you know, I, I left, um, I left cruise ships at like 23. Um, so I was teaching at 23 and Um, you know, a lot of the students were 16, 17, 18, um, 19 years old. Um, But when I came to Canada, I was 25. I'd already had two years of teaching experience. Um, I'd completed my teaching degree in the UK while I was teaching. Um, And then I'm now 25 um, year old here wanting to teach in the college system. And I, I wasn't received, you know, with open arms at first, like, you know, it was, you know, with all my experiences that I'd had, even that it was my age, that was the issue. And so I feel that culture's changed now. I feel that, um, especially in, in our, in our department, we've brought in some extremely passionate, um, people that are, um, you know, that love the industry that they're in. And I I feel this is what has made this, um, educating through this pandemic super successful is that they're like, wow, I can do things that I've never dreamed of doing with my students. And because now I have the time to do it, I'm not so compressed. Um, I can get them to go out and explore and, and then, and then, you know, I was talking to Tim earlier about this, like I can give them the tip of the iceberg of an idea or, um, or a, um, or a, a a way in which we can do something, a way in which we can problem solve something, um, uh, something that we can create, and they just go for it. And the ideas that they come back with, the students, and you, you know, you're there to kind of lead them through some of their ideas, or rail them in a bit, or you know, you know, line them up. But the, the stuff that's come back, like some of the things that the students have created and and thought about and reflected upon. And they never had the time to do that before. And, and especially in compressed trades, you know, like, you know, heavy duty, you know, uh, AST, you know, these types of trade where it is very much like one week only to cover that content. And then we're done, you know, where they're able now to let the students really think about, you know, what they're learning. And um, that's, I feel that they, I think the ITA have put like an asterisk, and um, Sally knows a bit about this, but with the COVID cohorts, right? And I think that's um, a really good thing. Um, because I think that they've learned in a, in a way in which has been very diverse and very scary. And they've still managed to come out of it the other end. And they've also managed to, um, to look at ways you know look at the education differently look at what they're receiving differently but i wonder what we're going to do to support this cohort like over the next year so those students that have come in to do their year two for one month apprenticeship or six weeks apprenticeship they're now going back out to their sponsors you know how how are we going to help to support their growth because they haven't had any hands-on with us um they've only had you know discussions and videos and working on their own things. They haven't been able to have us show them things as we normally would do. So how do we make sure that the mentoring that they're having in industry is just as valuable as, as what we would try to give them when, when we have them for that such short time, you know, I think that's a worry through a lot of trades educators too. The trades faculty is that safety is such a massive thing um and making sure that students are working in a way that um is is is, is done well and safely and they also want to be proud of the student the uh, the apprentices that they have out there and i think they're kind of worried that you know we didn't have that time to show them the practical you know the training aids and how to how to work with them so we're responsible for them in a way and how do we make sure that they are you know going to be looked after and going to be going to be mentored over this next year two or three that they're working through yeah
3: because i think there's you know for instructors they've only got part of the puzzle at the moment so lucy what you were just saying about you know you've been able to give your students like i think you're talking about the students in um hair and in, in beauty um skin therapy is that you've been able to give them the tip of the iceberg and what you receive back is sort of blowing your minds. And I had the same experience when I developed that fully online program, very deliberately online, um, which is very different to the pivot. And we have to emphasize that every time I mention it, but I could not believe the quality of work that flowed back in my direction. And what I learned from that was that I created the space for these opportunities for the learners. And Chad has some incredible examples of that with his students that are actually working in press books and they're creating their own resources. So I think what we're seeing now is those of us that have been playing around in the digital world for a little bit longer, we've already thought ahead about okay, how can we support these apprentices that didn't get that shop time for their like year two, year three, year four? We're already seeing how that could now play out in the workforce with their um, with the employee as their mentor, and how can we actually, you know have students submit work to us, which I think oh, so they can good. quite simply yeah. with GoPros. And yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, hop on in, Chad. <laughs>
2: this is what brings to mind is, we, and I think we've talked about this before, but we've got industry here. We've got education here, right? Especially in trades. And we say that they're like this, but the, and I've got my hands together, but they aren't really, right? We We send them off our... And I've been a contractor. I've sent my apprentices off to school and they've gone to school. And I don't really, I don't think a lot of contractors or industry think of them as themselves being the educators. What we have an opportunity for right now is we have an opportunity like to mesh it all together. Like we've got to bring industry in and we've got to have them become part of the education process. We've got to start looking at things like uh, e-portfolios uh, micro credentials, digital badging, using things like you said, like pros to show evidence of work for crying out loud. They got, they all have their phones that we can't keep them off. Why can't we have them take pictures of their work and upload it that gets sent off to a cohort. Like in, as an instructor, that instructor can follow a cohort through their full four Absolutely. years. I mean, I'm yeah. just brainstorming, right? Like these are all, these are all opportunities we have right now. But then we have and we have institutions like VIU and VCC that are really pushing and that, that's I see some great things doing. But then we also see other institutions that are just they want same old, same old. They want the three hour lecture. They want the you know, you've got to have your lab time is a separate thing from your shop time and practicals, which is a separate thing from your lecture theory time. And so they can't wait for the vaccine to hit and for us to all go back to normal. And to me, that is a wasted opportunity.
0: I I really don't believe it will go back to normal. And what you just said, if I had a flag, I'd be like, yes. (laughs) You know, I I really believe that what, you know, what you said is is accurate and what we should do. And I've always thought that we should have, you know, faculty within the college system that. Um, will see those apprentices through their four years. I mean there's such a high rate of apprentices that don't make it to their fourth year you know and why is that? you know it's support that's why that's why they don't make it. So um, so I mean the ITA brought out these you know 22 log log books and uh, record assessment or record books, um, which is a little step in the way in which we can start to, make sure that, um, that or the apprentices can make sure they can keep track of what they're doing, but how do we do that? And I think that, you know, yes, funding is going to come into it, but I, I believe that if faculty didn't have to be, you know, hundred percent face to face with students, which we haven't been because of our, because of what we've been through, um, and they could, you know, lend some of that time to reaching out to their apprentice, apprentices. So, um, you know, when i was teaching in the uk originally we have um we have program leads and they're basically in charge of that program for like three years and so we would see them for like tutorials or meetings and we'd meet with them individually or as a group to do certain things but then they would go off to specialist instructors to take their courses or to go out into industry if they were apprentices but they would always come back Like i would know that you know i would be part of their journey for that whole time and we don't have that. I mean, even when they come back to do their second year, third year, fourth year, they're obviously gonna be with different instructors and and you have the good faculty. I hate using the word instructors, I hate using the word trainers. Um, you have faculty that come that that are that check in, that they they do their due diligence, but you know, they they don't have to do that. And I think that apprentices do need to, you know, be able to know, or have that home instructor, home faculty member that they can, that they can touch base with and, and, you know, and whenever they want and that, that faculty member can reach out to them too and check in. And,
2: and I think it happens informally. And I think like, I've seen a lot of, a lot of my colleagues that absolutely love teaching and love their students. They, they stay in contact with those students. Right. And so throughout their four years, but can you imagine how powerful it would be if that was an intentional relationship and say this apprentice is in fourth year and he's really struggling. She's struggling because their boss is telling him to do something or there's something's going on. And if they had such a point that they could go back to their, their homeroom teacher or instructor or faculty member or whatever to talk to and have that there. Right. And you can have those moments. And, and I think Sally's alluded to this before too, where if we could take our trades instruction and trades education and create an asynchronous model, so that we don't have to be face to face all the time so that I can facilitate, I can coach. Like I'm, I'm trying that out now with online teaching with my foundation program, not having to be in front of them for three hours at a time, giving them the tools, letting them go. And then guess what I get to do is some struggle hard with it. And so what do they do? I get to hop into a Zoom session one on one with them. Others get it. And so they're off. They're doing it. They've got the quizzes done. No problem. So it allows me to have more face-to-face time and to coach and to facilitate and to be there for them. And shouldn't that be where we're heading?
3: Yeah, and I think, that, like you say, this is this incredible opportunity and there will be those that will want to. They're, 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 re, they're actually relying on the fact that they're going to go back to exactly what they were doing prior to covid you know, nineteen. that's where their mindset is. But there, there are others that are now looking at and seeing because they're seeing the students take the opportunity that's been forced upon them right now, and when we were talking about, you know, these students, all of these apprentices out in the province at the moment that are going back out into the workforce without the hands-on experience, we need to pilot some of these groups. We need to find instructors, whether they're, you know, automotive, electrical, heavy duty, what, what, whatever trade, and actually so okay, let's take one cohort that are willing to do this, work with the employers, let's pilot it. I mean, a GoPro is $250 (laughs) or you can duct tape your iPhone to your phone forehead like i, know, yeah, I yeah. know faculty members have been doing that they probably have a table but we instantly overnight said to instructors okay video yourself now the thing is again when the hairstyle when i did the hairstylist online in 2018 you know the students they, it wasn't a problem for them they were asked to video their work the biggest problem was the mindset what me you want me to to video my work yes because this is your education there's no point in watching me do things all, all the time because all you learn is sally is really competent at this and i am not right so when a student when you're asking the student i want to see your work and i know a couple of times when i went to different groups and presented on it and people in the audience that were watching this other educators they actually said this is student work and i said yes because students actually the great thing is talking about reflection as you were earlier if you ask the student to video themselves actually performing a competency they do, they video it. They then sit and watch that video many times and often they will go back and re-do you know, do the whole thing over again and they'll tell you, yeah, that you're seeing my third video. I actually did this three times because they could see their own errors. And I think we've got all of these opportunities to bring this together now. The only thing is we have to recognize that in order to do this is to, pre- we have to prevent everything going back the way it was yeah. in February yeah. 2020.
2: I just want to, I'm oh, sorry.
3: Tim, <laughs> I was just going to ask if Tim actually wanted to say something. I've, he's been busy taking notes and smiling going, I know they're going to take a breath, but just before you get to, I just want
2: to, just just one quick. I'll be quick. I promise him. I'm going to take that flag that Lucy was waving and I'm waving it now with myself in the sense that I think we need to get out of the model of teaching where we are broadcasting to our students and our students are creators. They create every day. They are on Instagram. They're on TikTok. They're on Snapchat. They, they are creators. So let's help them create. Let's help them learn how to broadcast instead of having one individual broadcasting to 16 students. Why can't we have 16 students broadcasting to 16 students? And then that gets out in compounds and starts rolling out there. And I see that my students, when they hand back stuff that they've built, it is mind-blowing what they can do with their creativity and with what they've, they've done. I, I've i done this last year and I'll be doing it with the class coming up and where I use Flipgrid. And so I give them a problem, a mathematical problem that they have to solve. And I ask them to walk through how they solve it. And so some of them will just like have a picture basically of all the steps that they do. And that's fine. Cause that's how they create, but others take it to like these crazy steps where I've joked about this before, but I had one student who for a parallel circuit diagram that I had them work through had my head as resistors and then had his head as current and he had all these animations going. Then he had this like dubstep no uh, soundtrack going in the background. It was amazing. And then all the students watched it. And so then they got it they thought it was hysterical, but at the same time, because he's speaking their vernacular their language they're actually watching it. they're like you know all things funny things aside actually his stuff i was way better than your stuff chad I was like that's exactly what i want to hear though because they can they speak each other's language so i'm, that's, I'm done. Go, go tim well <laughs>
1: this is a treat <laughs> All of you who are listening, I was taking a nap there and uh, just uh, Sally woke me up and said my name. So and here I am. But uh, no, this has been this has been a fantastic conversation. Yes, I've been taking lots of notes. I I, I'm, I go back to um, comments um, that I've made previously. And, and even though we've heard here the idea of work integrated learning, you're talking about British Airways and taking the idea of apprenticeships and, and forming them into what would normally be a non-traditional apprenticeship and in a sense it's a co-op right um, without that without the student going back to school like they hire them and, and they expose them and, and I even think of the word residency and when people are in med school they go they go to a different ward and they spend time in a different one then they they figure out okay this is what I want to do and, and I want to specialize or no I want to become a GP or I want to do this so brilliant right brilliant and then um, workbooks came up I just saw the um, the, uh, the the announcement from ITA that workbooks are now coming back. And I'm I'm finding that very timely because we were mentioning that way back in March when we were holding webinars with instructors and they were asking like, how do, how do we know that they're completing stuff? And so one of the answers that we provided was bring the workbooks back, have them sign off on this stuff, have them take pictures, have them take small video, have them prove that they're actually doing this stuff out in the field because we hear all the time and, I don't like it but I hear it all the time that well education is really 10 to 20% of the apprentice's time so it that that's that's the that's the focus that that you guys are going to get and it's like well hold on here like that's not how industry sees us they they look at us and say okay you're going to go to school for 6 8 10 weeks you're going to learn you're going to learn what you need to learn to pass the exam no no no, no uh holding back with, with them saying that and then you're going to come back to me and I'll train you how to do the work and I'm like, okay, so there's still a dichotomy, a separation between industry and education, and you 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 see that filtering in even into faculty when they when they come to to teach, and that idea of scope creep when it when it comes to you know how how are we how are we teaching them what are we teaching them how does that scope get expanded now that we're in this interesting new landscape that we're in um, that nine non-binary approach, and I often think. Um, we should start handing out Mike Rose books to people. And so whenever we go somewhere, um, yeah, there it is. Right. Uh, and I've <laughs> thought about this life, once dude. in a while, have thought about this a few times, once in a while, a few times where man, I should have probably five or six copies just of this book and out.
0: just hand them yeah. out and
1: just start passing them out because you're, you know, you guys have hit it on, on the head all the time. And it's something that I've talked about ad nauseum forever is that just because we're trace people doesn't mean we're stupid. Um, and and in fact, the system funnels students that way. Oh, you're not going to make it in STEM? We'll go to trades. And so we, I get a student mm-hmm. in my class who comes to trades because he wasn't good or she wasn't good at STEM. And guess what? 80% of what we do as a tradesperson is math and science related. And they freak out, right? Especially first year, <laughs> they just freak out. Yep. And 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 it's almost like the system has lied to them. And uh, and then you have that you have that student all the way through to the student that Chad just mentioned, where it's like they don't even need to show up. Yeah. Just give them the book. Yeah, They'll read it. They do the work. They get it. Off they go. Like school for them is just a formality. Yes. It's just a rubber stamp. And there are those kinds of students too. So saying all of this brings me back to the idea of individualized education. Where for the longest time, apprenticeship has been, like if you go way back, like you mentioned guilds, Lucy. You go way back to the guilds. Apprenticeship was individualized you choose, you chose who you went to go and study with because you knew them as a trades person. You knew them as a crafts person. And I, and I use person intentionally because they weren't all men. There were female uh, trades even back in the 1600s, 1700s. Even though there, there was nothing written about them, we know that they were there. And so when the industrialized education complex gets started and everybody goes into schools because all the parents are working and you know, granted, there's things like world wars and conflicts and depressions and all this other stuff. Um, Apprenticeship gets sucked right into that too, where it's like, okay, we're going to put you in a, we're going to put you in a box, sit you down and and you'll be there. The only, the only difference to that was the foundation programs where 80 to 90% of their time in the foundation program was hands-on skills. And it was designed that way because students were coming in with no background. They didn't know what they were doing. Uh, and I even look at myself and I go, yeah, I picked plumbing because out of default, like I couldn't get into electrical cause it was a two year wait list. I didn't want to go into steam fitting cause I didn't want to go work out of town. I didn't want to become a boilermaker because you know, there was like five boilermakers in the whole province and there was no way it, there was going to be any work. So I fell into plumbing and I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll just go fix toilets and sinks. Well, it turns out that that's really only 1% of my job as a, as a plumber. There's this whole other world. Like I, it could spend a whole episode on that. So there's, there's that piece to it. But I really think that underneath some of these layers of what we're talking about, an opportunity, and some people would, will will not like that term opportunity. And when we talk about this current landscape that we're in, but I'm really seeing the chance to individualize our apprenticeship training just a little bit better, right? And you hit on it too, Chad and Lucy. Is that this idea of our apprentices? Some get it. And, and they need more coaching than they need instruction. There are some who still need instruction. Like like you said, Chad, we need to stop mm-hmm. delivering content and, and allow them to create content. I agree, but there's still some students that desperately need us. That's, that's, and for them, this COVID thing is, oh my goodness, like I can't come to class and be with you for six hours because I really need you to help me through this and understand it. Well, guess what? I can still do that online and I don't have to worry about the other eight mm-hmm. Right? I don't have to worry about them going off the rails behavior or walking out of the classroom and all that. I don't have to worry about that stuff. I can focus in on these students that actually need a deeper sense of touch. And so I'm wondering, and through all of this, if there's an opportunity for us to begin looking at an individualistic approach to our apprenticeship training. And I know that that goes against the grain of everything that apprenticeship is about, because we, we get them in, they're 16, 32 in a room, we pump them out. And, and, Eight, eight, 10 weeks later, we get another 16, 32. We pump those out and it becomes a becomes a machine, right? How many, and, and you mentioned it, Lucy, how many, how many apprentices get through the program? I can tell everybody that's listening, 50%. And it's across the board, 50%. The, the, the anomalies are ironically, hairstyling, uh, cook um, and carpentry. They're a little higher than 50%. But the, the majority of trades are 50% completion. And, and that's not even completion in four years. That's just completion, which is scary, right?
3: So Tim, can I ask you a question? Just hop in here. Do you think if we reframed apprenticeship as other than training, if we were to, to reframe it as education, would that lend, lend us to look at this individualization? Yeah. No. Um, no. You no know, idea. No. no. I think
1: it, I think we need to. I think we need to keep calling it education and keep calling our instructors faculty and, and work on that mindset. But a name change is not going to do it, because you.
3: No, I was thinking a name when while we continue to think of it as training, that requires everybody to make the same movement the same as when you go to a cross training gym the same as when you train for a marathon everybody is required to do the same and and what i'm hearing from you is i think a whole real a huge mind shift around the idea that everybody this is not training as in everybody performing exactly the same task and achieving the exact same time or I don't know, you know, and I, I'm thinking maybe I, obviously just the name change isn't going to do it, but if we look at it from a different lens, would that?
1: Uh, no, absolutely. And that's, and that's what I'm advocating for in, in the sense of the name change alone won't do it. And let me, let me finish up that answer because you see it in higher ed, you see it at universities, they call it education but you can't tell me that a student is gaining an education. They're just learning a system. Mm-hmm. My, my son went to Douglas college for crying out loud. He read four textbooks in four years. Right. And, and he was on the Dean's list several times. Mm-hmm. Like he, he figured the system out and he worked it so that he didn't have to do any homework that he didn't have to do any reading. He just, he did it right now. I know that that's not normal, but, but we see that even in our apprenticeship, we see apprentices figuring out the system And they work it, right? So my idea here is in saying no, we changing the name alone is not going to work. We get that, but what I'm really what I'm really thinking about and really starting to to wrap my head into is this idea of almost compartmentalizing certain students. And I know that that's a terrible way to say it, but it's it's almost like like when we developed curriculum before for math. Like another colleague and I, we looked at a specific group within the classroom to develop this math for. It wasn't for everybody. In fact, we called it a different math delivery system. It wasn't curriculum, it wasn't a textbook, it was a delivery system. And we really targeted like four out of 16 students in a classroom because we identified that the top four didn't need our help, the bottom four, were beyond our help. We weren't skilled enough to help them with the stuff that they needed to help to get help with, right? Like uh, with individual uh, learning plans. We, we weren't skilled enough to, to do that. The top eight, they needed us for a short period of time. And then once they got on track, they, they were good, right? They just needed a few bumps here and there. But it was that bottom four of the middle eight that really needed the attention that we were, we were missing. And so we developed this curriculum for them. And guess what? Boom, it hits. And they love it and they're working it. And you know, we, we have the stats to show that it made a huge impact. And like we've been saying all along, that kind of input has a holistic effect on the rest of the group. It's we target it for four, but it actually helped out all 16, right? and then and then you start looking at delivery methods and and making it available online or making it available offline and making it available during during different times of the day and all i mean it just it blew everything out of the water but what it ran into was a system of we don't do it that way we don't do it that way this this is the way we do it and it reminds me and one of the things that i've been hearing about with digiped all, all this time that we've been at digiped is we have to we have to think about Burning the system down to rebuild it, and I'm not there yeah. yet. I'm <laughs> not there yet. What I wrote, I wrote a poem. I, I, yeah, I, I had the torches lit. Well. <laughs> well, I know. Just hold on before before we burn the ship, because there's there's a piece of me that goes. I don't think everything needs to be burnt down. What I think can happen, we can keep some of the structure. We just need a seismic upgrade. And what I mean by that is that there's a seismic upgrades that happen within buildings, especially heritage buildings where they don't tear the building down. They actually do it on the inside where you can't see it. And they, and they strengthen the building um, to protect it against earthquake, but you'd never know it after they're done because it's, it's done on the inside and then it's covered up. And I wonder if that might be a, an approach for us to think about in the sense that what, well, you know, the four of us or the 12 of us or the 20 of us in the province, we're not powerful enough to tear the whole system down. And I'm not sure it, the whole thing needs to be torn down, but I'm, I'm convinced that with enough of us seated in the system, we can begin the seismic upgrade of changing it because we keep coming back to the circle of we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. And it's one reason why we do this podcast is to get stuff out there so people can start thinking about what they do or realize that I'm not the only one, Right. Hey, there's other people that think the way I think, and this is great. There's a, there's a guild now coming together of faculty members in trades, especially, but outside of trades too, um, who are saying the same thing. So I'm bringing it full circle. This idea of individualistic approaches to training. I'm not saying that we need to have an individual learning plan for 16 students every six, eight, 10 weeks. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, so we need to have the flexibility in our approach to education to say, like Chad just said about 10 minutes ago, there are guys that, and girls that read it and they move on. I don't need to chase them. They probably don't even want me chasing them. right? They, let's treat them like adults. You show up, you do your stuff, you leave when you want. That's good. But there are students, apprentices, who need more help, who need more coaching. And more often than not, and I know that all of you can attest to this, is that when students leave the program, that doesn't mean that they leave our consciousness. Like, run into students all the time that, hey, Carson, yeah? Yeah, I had you in second year. Dude, that was like eight years ago. Yeah, well, how's it going? You still teach in second year? No, but, you know, but they remember. And they remember because it was a, it was a personal touch. And I wonder if we lose that because too many people look at our stuff and go, oh, it's just, it's a destination. It's a resort. I can put my feet up. There's the material. They can learn it. Um, and, and I'm here. I got my tickets. I'm all good, right? I don't need to pass any exams. Um, and and it, I'm, so when this whole thing about burning the ships down and, and torching the city and, and, and dancing around when it's all burning, to the ground I, I get it. I get it, right? I'm frustrated with it too. But I'm not sure we should burn it all just yet.
0: Yeah, I, I think though we we could like, you know, start discussing and looking at a vision of where we want to be. You know, we, we can't we can't do this like how BC builds their bridges and roads. You know, just like they build bridges and roads for like now or like you know five years ago. We need to build a bridge and a road for ten years from now. And mm-hmm. what is that going to look like? What type of people uh, do we want to bring into you know our industries? How do we want to deliver our education? You know. And when you talk about individualising learning, you know, having students saying, "Well, I'm doing a four year program to become an electrician. I'm doing a four year program, so um, I'm doing part of it in industry. I'm part of it in, in the, you know, with with an institution, and um, but I have a mentor that's taking me through my journey. And um, and you know, when you talk about renaming it, it's still an apprenticeship, and I think that that is hugely important that we use that term. But I think we need to make it really Holistic and inclusive, and imaginative, and 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 allowing that to happen. So you know, really thinking of you know where we want to be. What what do we want to create? And um, yeah,
3: I like that idea, Lucy. And I think one part of that when. Somebody mentioned Mike Rose earlier and the Mind at Work. I think not only should we all be handing them out to all of our fellow trades people, but um, Tim and Chad know that recently um, I was teaching a master's cohort over at SFU, and that was one of their course um, textbooks, and it was incredible for me to watch um, the videos, the the infographics that were created afterwards mm-hmm. by the students um, in this master's cohort. And they're coming from the academic side of the house using that lens and to hear their reflections on how that shifted their their thinking it's just been like absolutely mind-blowing so when we look at the stakeholders because this is i think this is one of the uh, the root of our conversation here is with this ship we're going to not burn it down chad put away the torch (laughs) like we're going to rebuild but rebuilding is recognizing who is on board the ship and it is it's all educators because as long as they're a binary exists, they're going to reinforce what we're trying to disrupt. And, and so I think my only suggestion is we just have to get many copies of Mike Rose's book. We need well, yeah. to get Mike Rose on the show. Let, yeah. me, <laughs> let me hop in. Yeah, let me come hop on, in on Tim. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um the the Mike Rose book I, I think is a good oh I, I know it's a good book, right? Um, but I, I want to flip that around because I think most trades people, when if they read that book, they go, "Yeah, I know." Okay, get it, get mm-hmm. it. Here's here's what I would propose: that if we're talking to people in the trades, we give them a copy of the book, "What the Best College Teachers Do." If we're talking to people who are not in the trades, we give them Mike Rose's book. That now begins to cross pollinate, right? Because that book, "What the Best College Teachers Do." There's no tradespeople in it. You're talking about people in physics, in chemistry, uh, like hardcore programs. And, and the techniques that they're using to engage their students in some of this stuff is phenomenal. It's the same stuff, Chad, that you're talking about, except that they're doing it in STEM. And so if a trades person is able to read that and go, okay, if they can do it in STEM, we can do it here. That's awesome. And then flip that around and, and start talking to people who are in academia, quote unquote academia, and start giving them Mike Rose's book to prove to them or to help them understand or enlighten them that trades is not a consolation prize. Right. And, and that people, I hear this term all the time we should value people for who they are. Okay. Do we value the janitor that's doing that work? Do we value? The waitress. Um, It's it's or or don't we? Because when we don't, then we're saying no, no, no. We really value people who do this, this, and this, right? And and I I look at my dad, like he he was a power line technician for his whole life, right? Um, Never did anything spectacular, except raise a family, taught his children the, the value of hard work, the value of honesty value of integrity and that legacy lives on right my dad's been dead now for over 20 years and and and, and i see the same pattern being re- repeated in my own family where my dad said to me you need to go get a trade i like, no way are you kidding i don't want to work with you right and and then i'm saying to my son you should probably go look at getting a trade. He's like, I don't want to go work as a tradesperson. Are you crazy? Well, how did he pay for his school all four years? He worked in landscape. That's a trade. That's a trade uh, every summer. And he's doing it now full time mm-hmm. to save money because he's making good money. Mm-hmm. And now my youngest daughter wants to become a hairstylist because she's creative. She's brilliant. Like she's 15. She's going to graduate next year. She's brilliant. She gets it from mom and it, it's, it, but she wants to be a person. And that's not because I'm pushing her. She's recognizing that there's a value there. And I think across both sides of the fence, and this goes back even to the, the fledgling conversations that Chad and I have had years ago about LTCs. They, we look at each other across the fence. We say, oh, Lucy, and this is what's going to be so spectacular about you taking your position, is that for the longest time, trades people have looked across the fence at LTC and go, oh, they're LTCs. What do they know about trades? They don't know how we teach. They don't know what we have to go through. They don't know the first thing about apprenticeship. LTCs look across the fence at tradespeople and go, you're just tradespeople. What do you know about education? You're into training. You just do this training thing. And then they off, they go back to industry. And, you know, a lot of people are working to break that that fence down now. But Lucy, you, you have a, and I know you know this, but you have a real massive opportunity now to, to, put some more power behind that movement. And, 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 and that may be a lot of pressure, but I think it's it's a a huge
0: opportunity. (laughs) But but I always (laughs) see opportunity when, when there's pressure. And, um, and that's why I wanted to, that's why I wanted this position um, is to, and I was, I was just messaging um, someone who works in AST yesterday. And I was like, you know, I told them I got this position and, and, you know, having had being here to, understand and support you know support the trades and support the voice of you know how and how we want to deliver our programs and how we want to be perceived and how we want to work and engage with our students you know i'm, I'm super mm-hmm. excited about that
1: yeah know. and chad you, you said something a little while ago and and, I'll, and i'm i'm gonna mention it here too is that you said that um, we don't teach curriculum we teach students right and, and that's absolutely true. And isn't it also true that we don't just teach students, but we teach who we are. Right? Mm-hmm. So we don't teach curriculum, we teach students, but we don't just teach students, we teach who we are. And and, that, and I, I really believe that becomes a, a rallying point behind bringing people into the fold when it comes to new hires. You're, 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 you're a subject matter expert. You've been doing this trade for 10, 15 years. You, you know it inside and out. Awesome. Do you want to teach? Do you really want to teach for the right reasons? Why do you want to get into education? It's not a landing spot, it's, a, it, it, it's not a destination. It's, it's a launching pad, and you have to understand that. Yeah. Right. And this is mm-hmm. not a retirement job, although it's a great gig. <laughs> great gig. Right. Best job I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah,
2: and I am I, hate to say that I have to jump out in about two minutes because I've got a test that opened up and apparently I've got students complaining already, which is what they do. Um, one thing I just want to, one thing before I go is we've talked a lot about like handing out Mike Rose's book and then Tim, you mentioned handing out how college or how they teach, right? The problem with that, I think, and I, I agree, I totally 100% agree but trades instructors, subject matter experts don't resonate with those, that type of, that type of information yet. Right. So especially a subject matter expert coming in on a Monday after being in industry on a Friday, what I th- think and a challenge to all of us is if we can start creating resources for trades instructors that bridge that gap, right. We, we speak their language. We, we talk about, okay, this is what's been done. What can be done. What, what should be done as opposed to, cause I, I think what's, and we've talked about this before. There's this academic vocational education divide, and we set up this binary system. And then the trades instructors or subject matter experts look at the academics like, "Well, I don't care what they do." And like you said, the LTC, you and I have this, had this conversation yep. at nauseum about looking over that fence, right? So if we can have people like Lucy in those positions and get more and more trades instructors helping to build resources for subject matter experts to become pedagogues, that would be amazing. And we have other a whole set of Subject books that we could write on how to teach trades, or videos, yeah, or yeah. whatever
1: courses. Yeah, and and that's and that's a good way to to end the the system. So, uh, the system. Don't don't burn it down. Don't burn it <laughs> down. The, put the lighter away. Now, um, that, that's that. That's why I always say life is an apprenticeship. Right, life yeah. is an apprenticeship. So that when you get to a teaching position. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to learn yeah it's it's not just about throwing and puking stuff out that you've done forever um, nope there's there's stuff that you need to learn and so life is an apprenticeship no matter where you go and Lucy you've been living that since you were 16 yeah right that life is an apprenticeship yeah, look absolutely. Where, look what it's done for you yeah right and so I want to take this time to say thank you to, to Lucy and to Sally and to mm-hmm. Chad for uh, taking the time you. out of your busy day to be here. And, um, I've, I've say this now to a lot of our guests, uh, there is a, a chance slash danger that will get you back.
0: <laughs> yeah. that's So awesome. it just
1: doesn't seem to be enough. I know
0: I, I've got all these different things that I could go off on and talk about and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I feel like I'm in a really good room to do that. So it's, yeah. uh, it's really nice to be around, you know, minds that are thinking the exact same way. And yeah, mm. it's Awesome. Especially I so awesome. early in the morning. This is like the, the time when I'm like. <laughs> so <sober.
3: laughs> yeah, yeah. That's to I get always going, leave yeah. with more questions than answers, and I think yeah, really, that is yeah. a really good place to be.
0: Yeah. Thank you yeah. all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me, and uh, let me be part of this. is awesome. Well done. Oh, you're welcome. You're yeah. True. I'm like, do you understand like the intellect that is in trades? Like, not a bad thing. You're not a failure if you decide to go and, and seek an apprenticeship. What you just said, if I had a flag, I'd be like, yes.
1: You know, it's almost like the system has lied to them.